Introducing From the Glove Box, an automotive podcast with Mike and Tony Tavage, the father-son team and owners of Team T Automotive in Northern Indiana. In today's episode, we talk about funny cars, repairs you can and can't handle, and all sorts of car fluids. Hello, everybody. This is uh, Mike and Tony from the Glove Box. Uh, the father and son automotive uh, shop owner team from uh, Northern Indiana coming to you with a segment uh, this week and stuff. Tony, what's going on? I'm stuck in the glove box with you, so <laughs> well, <I don't>, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a dark place. Well, my son's a, a a larger man, so I don't think we're both stuck stuck in a glove box unless it's really really big. But uh, but anyhow, a little bit about us. Uh, again, we're uh, automotive shop owners. Uh, uh, second generation father son team in uh, northern indiana with our service centers and uh, we come to you and talk to you about a lot of different subjects about cars you know some of our uh, fun favorite cars uh, some of the stuff on how to maintain your car and uh, get a call in question and stuff too so so i think this week we want to open this up and talk about one of tony and i's favorite racing sports which is drag racing we have grown up uh um, i think since tony was how old tony when's the first when's the first uh, nhra drag race that you went to uh probably had to be uh 1988 the year i was born <laughs> probably probably so so uh yes we uh uh living in northern indiana our our closest uh big home track is the u.s nationals uh in indianapolis so we've uh, spent a lot of time uh going down there and uh, sniffing nitro and stuff. But uh, I thought maybe t- today we would talk about uh, some of our favorite, uh, maybe funny cars, top fuel. We we do love the smell of nitro. We love the, uh, um, I think the side of drag racing that we really enjoy is it is a mechanic sport. Uh, they spend a lot of time to go run down the track in what, like four seconds at 325 miles an hour and a thousand feet. Uh, now it used to be uh Quarter used to be a quarter mile per quarter and how many feet are in a quarter mile tony i think roughly 1320 yeah i think you're right too so uh but uh yeah so we uh we love those and stuff do you, you recall some of the early uh funny cars and some of the early, early funny car drivers i don't mean early back in the you know 50s and 60s but from uh you know from a guy that's uh, 33 years old do you remember some of the favorite ones that come to mind for you I remember the McDonald's car with Cruz Pedregon um, very early on. Um, I remember the fast orange car with uh, Witten Baysmore. Uh, actually, was at our local uh, car quest in Bremen one time, and I got to meet the uh, driver there and stuff. Um, I remember the uh, Mountain Dew car with Tony Pedregon that he blew the body off about 400 feet in the air, about halfway down the track at Indianapolis. But some of my favorite drag cars... Funny cars, of course, are there, but I like the Pro Mod class because a lot of times those are cars that have top fuel engines stuffed in them and they're door slamming cars and they run five seconds and they're all over the track and have huge wrecks and very, very cool class. So, yeah, that is, and that is an expanding class uh, in racing and stuff. But you get to the funny cars, you think about, you go back to that McDonald's car, that team, uh, Larry Miner owned that team, uh, you know, and we're businessmen too. So we talk a lot about business. You know, that guy was a potato farmer. Um, maybe the way he got the McDonald's sponsorship and maybe he sold a few potatoes to them and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> he had a top fuel car, funny car, uh, uh, and ran quite a few years and stuff. I remember a lot too of, uh, 
you know, the Don Perdome, the snake, um, a little before Tony's time, it's snake and the mongoose, uh, racing funny cars. Um, probably the one though, that was the really coolest for Tony that, uh, should, should talk about was the Bud King, Kenny Bernstein. What do you think about that? Tell them a couple stories about, uh, some of your Bud King, Kenny Bernstein, uh, meetings. So Kenny Bernstein was his unique claim to fame was he was the first driver to go 300 miles an hour. Um, he, uh, uh, was sponsored by Budweiser for many, many years. I think at one point in time had the longest relationship with a single sponsor in all of sports period. I think the only one that beat him was Richard Petty was STP. Yeah. But other than that, Kenny Bernstein had the longest running like 25 years in a row with Budweiser as a sponsor. The, the thing that I like about drag racing and Kenny Bernstein epitomizes it is Drag racers are always willing to take whatever time that they can give with their fans and and do anything they can for their fans. So when I was in eighth grade, I wrote Bernstein a letter and wanted to interview him for our uh, local uh, uh, school uh, announcements and do a video and stuff. And I was able to go to Bernstein's pit, hang out with him for an afternoon, interview him one-on-one, tour the pit, be next to the car, be in the hospitality booth, do all that type of stuff. Um, and just by writing the guy a letter and he was willing to uh, take that time and do that. I don't know any other sport, any car, NASCAR, anything motorsports wise that the drivers are going to spend that amount of time and just take a young kid at that point in time that he doesn't really know um, and, and spend that time with them. You know, the funny, that that's a true story that we got to go down to Indianapolis on a Friday so Tony could interview him for his uh, for his uh, TV show at, uh, at uh, local school and stuff. But the funny thing, I remember we had caller ID then. Um, and my wife, Tony's mom answered the phone or saw the caller ID that said, Bud King racing. We thought, holy crap, you know, Tony or, uh, Tony's getting a call from Kenny Bernstein and it was, it was his PR director and stuff. But what I really liked about Kenny Bernstein, he was an amazing marketing person. He marketed the crap out of his, uh, business and he used to own a, a chain of, uh, restaurants in Dallas, Texas and a towing company, but the restaurant business was uh the chelsea king was his hamburger but his simple philosophy was if somebody paid two dollars for my hamburger i wanted them to walk out of that place thinking they got four bucks worth of food and he did everything with that whether it was whether it was um his racing and there's a whole cool story about how he got the budweiser sponsorship but everything he did he wanted everybody to leave feeling they got a ton more value uh, than what they paid for. And he, and he was the epitome of, uh, of that in drag racing and it did some amazing things and uh, a lot of cool things. So that was, uh, that was one of my favorite parts, but funny cars are definitely uh, an amazing thing to watch. Uh, if you, if you don't know anything about drag racing, you're sitting with this 5,000 horsepower engine, 10, 10,000, maybe now. Yeah. Five, maybe in old days, but yeah, I don't even know if they can technically figure out the horsepower but that thing's sitting pretty much between your legs with a little thing called a firewall in between so and it's an amazing experience the way they do but we do like that because uh as uh, automotive guys you get to go into the pits you get to see a person or this team take the engine apart um and now tony they completely disassemble and reassemble an engine in between rounds um, on race day, on final day, and how much time? 30 to 35 minutes. 
30 to 35 minutes, completely take the engine apart, completely put it back together, um, and pull back up to the stri- to the line and uh, run run another uh, thousand feet for in four seconds, and they do it all over again. So that's uh, and that's why we like the sport because we're both uh, short of attention span. So yeah, <laughs> uh, multiple runs every four seconds. That's that's kind of nice. And so, yep. All drag racers always say if you if you have to make a left turn, that means the race is over. So, uh, but uh, uh, but they they make a, quite a few turns keeping them going straight down the down the tracks and stuff. But we've enjoyed that quite a bit, and uh, that's our that's our little take on uh, our favorite cars, funny cars. Hey guys, as a DIY kind of guy, how do I know when something is too much and I need to go to a shop? Thanks. If I understand the question correctly, it's uh, if I do do some of the services myself, if I'm uh, in my garage or in my driveway and I'm doing some services on my car and I Google this or that, where is the fine line between what can I do myself if I like doing some of that? And when do I call a professional and when do I get into that? Cause you know, we always tease all, all my buddies are, you know, they think they're carpenters. Uh, they think they're uh, mechanics. Um, uh, some people, I always tease my wife. She thinks she's a doctor and stuff, but where's the uh, fine line between going to a professional and, and you know, what you can uh, do it yourself, DYI and what you Google. You got any, got any thoughts on that, Tony? One one thought comes to mind is a couple of years ago, I had a, a client come in and, and asked why his timing belt was so expensive to change because he watched a YouTube video and the YouTube video showed that it could be done in seven minutes. And I asked him, I said, hey, you mind if you come around to the, this side of the computer and you want to pull up that video and show it to me? And so he showed it to me. And on the YouTube video, it showed how to do a timing belt, which was a great, great video and stuff. The whole problem of the video, though, was the engine was outside the vehicle on an engine stand with nothing in the way and already had the timing cover off and the belt drive and everything else off the front of the engine. So I think this goes back to the old analogy that just because it's on the Internet doesn't necessarily mean the advice is great. There is good advice out there. There's great YouTube channels out there for DIY type of stuff. There's certain things that I do believe that customers should be aware of how to change a tire, how to put a spare tire on, how to, you know, potentially do a brake job. However, that's changing rapidly with the advancement of computers and brakes, a whole different topic. Um, I, I really feel that, that to answer this question properly, it's up to the aptitude of the individual that's performing the work. If you feel comfortable doing what you're doing and you're willing to put your own life in your hands, then proceed going on with it. If you feel like you're to a point where you have a question, I think you need to stop, put it back together, and seek professional help as far as talking to a mechanic and that type of stuff. The other thing that I see a lot of times too is this. A lot of times the the do-it-yourselfer will start into a project and do something and he'll go to the local parts store. And the local parts store used to be a very, very knowledgeable resource for information on how to fix your car. A lot of times ex-technicians, older guys that have been around cars a lot, ex-drag racers, that type of stuff where you're where your local parts stores guys. Now anymore, parts stores don't have that type of intuitive knowledge of the individual behind the counter. 
it's younger guys that maybe are fresh out of college or fresh out of high school or stuff like that, that don't have the knowledge that, Hey, this, this is how you do this. This is how you do that. Every store has a couple knowledgeable people. We have a couple in our hometown uh, that are really good, uh, knowledgeable parts guys and stuff, but those guys are getting older and older and there's not a new fresh young group that's coming in to give you advice that way. That's where I think you need to turn to your automotive shop. We talked in the last episode that you need to pick a shop and really stick with the shop to develop that relationship deep. And, and that's where you can turn to, to a good local automotive repair shop to get that advice. If you are stuck in a situation that maybe you started and now you can't finish and they can help you out that way. Yeah, those are, those are all good points because, uh, there, again, there's plenty of things that if you, uh, so choose, you can work on your own car. Um, but there's a lot of things that require special training, require special equipment, uh, require, you know, special knowledge. Um, and understand this, uh, your home doctor has a lot more information, a lot more training than maybe WebMD. And I'm not knocking any any service, but if I just Google something, my doctor probably has a lot more information. We as professionals do too. We have professional services for, uh, you know, certain things that are going on with cars. We have, we have, uh, sites that we can go, um, know that a certain problem happens to a certain car many, 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 many times. So we can check all those types of things. Most of the time when I Google anything about health, I'm more scared than what I was to begin with (laughs) and more scared than what the doctor's (laughs) advice is. Yeah. It's like those, uh, like those drug commercials on TV and they, they read the 50,000 side effects afterwards and you think, holy crap, I wouldn't take any of that stuff. But, uh, and the big thing I think here to understand too is, is as the modern vehicle evolves, you know, brake jobs are coming down the pike. You're not going to be able to do a brake job in your own driveway. You have to have a scanner to to move the caliper pistons back because of how calipers are set up without going massively in depth and, and stuff that way. Batteries are becoming harder and harder and more difficult to replace. Half the batteries aren't underneath the hood anymore. They're buried in floorboards and buried in fender wells and buried in the trunk and stuff like that. Then let alone most vehicles now, we just changed a battery uh, uh, two days ago on a 2015 Toyota Camry in one of our stores, and you had to put the car through a complete idle relearn to where the car actually would relearn its idle and everything. Yeah, so what Tony says with this, your car forgets how to idle. Isn't that crazy? Just because you unhook the power. But literally, there is a procedure that you have to go through on certain cars because it doesn't remember how to idle. It's like... It would be like the human body forgetting how to breathe and you got to retrain it. But honestly, those things happen. To so us as the professional, it wasn't a big deal. But if you're changing your battery in your driveway and you get in your car and all of a sudden the idles go into 2000 RPMs and back down to zero and 720 and bouncing all around and stuff, it's going to be one of those moments where you're going to be like, oh, crap, what do I need to do here? And, yep. you know, the, there's just a lot of changing of stuff. Air filters, cabin filters, wiper blades, brake lights, headlights. A lot of people can handle a lot of those type of things. But even headlights are getting more and more difficult now. Well, and and that's the truth. And we'll kind of wrap it up with this. But yeah, I've owned automotive service centers for 37 years. um, And I probably, you know, even changing wiper blade. What, what, What happened to you today with your headlights? Oh, you know, uh, this is a good truth, but I'll, I'll t- tell you quickly. There's a lot of those things that I won't even do anymore because they're, there's complicated things. We used to replace bulbs for free. Now, sometimes you got to take hours to tear 
take, take the front bumper off. So here's an honest story. I've got a uh, Toyota Tundra. I had a level kit put in the front of it, uh, brought it up a couple uh, inch and a half, two inches, whatever it was, put some new tires on it. Um, and I'm driving home after my shop uh, replaced those things and I'm getting my brights flashed at me all the time. I thought, what the hell? I guess maybe I shouldn't say that word bad here, but what the heck? Um, we'll we'll work with that. Maybe the editing company will catch that. Maybe not. So, um, but I'm driving, and you know, but and so I'm thinking, well, I I should have had my guys re-aim the headlights. So if you can't see real well at night, they can be re-aimed. They can be cleaned. All those things. But in a Toyota Tundra, it's got a little lever, a little uh, dial yep. that you can adjust the height of the of the uh, headlights and they do that on trucks, especially because you pull a trailer uh, back end drops, front end points up in the air, uh, which also throws your alignment off. Hold another subject. We'll talk about that another, some other time, but that little thing, but Toyota on, on their uh, vehicle, there was just a little adjustment. So, so he comes in, in the shop this morning and says, Hey, I need one of the guys to read my headlights today. I'm like, why don't you just go hit the dial on the left side of the dash? <laughs> so DIY or DIY there, I could, I could, I could have adjusted my own headlights and I didn't even know that. And I even owned shops for all these years. So anyhow, I'll tell you this, do what you can do. You're comfortable with, but, you know, have a professional shop, a local shop that you do trust that you can go to when need be. You're putting your loved ones, your your wife, your family, your kids, you know, you're doing vacation and everything. So these vehicles are three, four or five thousand pounds. You're clicking down a road at 60 miles an hour. I remember when Tony got his driver's license uh, um, many years ago and the lady said, I just gave you the license to the most lethal weapon that you'll ever own. Um, and we have to remember that. So make sure that you're safe out there, that you put your family in a safer and reliable car. If you can do some of that yourself, great. If you need professionals, make sure that you got one. Hey, I know last time we talked about uh, uh, something we talked about this segment was Everybody knows the oil change intervals, whether your car's 3,000, 5,000, 7,500. I mean, there's cars out there at 10,000 miles. Um, we won't go too deep in that. Don't really recommend that. Um, but anyhow, uh, here's a simple thing on oil. Oil's cheaper than parts. So change oil a little more often. Um, and that's just a, a little tip by us. But hey, the, the thing we really want to talk about this uh, in this segment was... Uh, all the other fluids in in the car. So me and Tony and I are going to go back and forth and we're going to name off how many fluids. But before I start that, how many fluids do you think there are in an, in a modern automobile? You know, everybody knows oil, you know, gas, you know, all those things. But Tony, name off a couple of fluids that are in a modern automobile. Uh, you got transmission fluid, brake fluid, uh, coolant or antifreeze, as some people like to call it. Um, Transfer case fluid or all-wheel drive fluid. That's four. Uh, you have differential fluid, sometimes the front and a rear differential. Five and six, yeah. You have Freon in the uh, uh, AC system. Yeah, we call it, you know, the stuff that makes your AC air conditioning cold, which for everybody out there, cooling system for the engine and cooling system for the people inside, two different systems. Yep. Um, you have your fuel system. Yeah, fuel. Obviously, we have fuel. Uh, uh, we have that, uh, you know, stuff that uh, goes into the engine called gasoline, and everybody complains about how much gas is a gallon, but uh, it takes X amount to do that. We if got you, power steering. 
Power steering. On some cars, more uh, modern cars are going to electric steering. But some still with electric steering have power steering, have hydraulic over electric steering yep. systems. You have hybrid cars that have inverter fluid. Yep. Which uh, is another form of antifreeze or coolant. Yeah. So there's, uh, if you have a hybrid car, there's coolant, uh, the antifreeze type of stuff that goes around the uh, hybrid battery to keep everything cool around that because that big old battery sitting underneath your car gets a lot of debris and gets dirty and stuff. So um, what else we have? We have washer fluid, of course. You got to have washer fluid in the car. Um, you know, so, you know, hey, we're up to eight, nine, 10 fluids and probably missed a couple. Uh, but here's the thing. Most everybody of you out there know this. You know pretty much when your oil change needs done. You got the little sticker in the windshield. Your service center sends you a reminder. And, you know, the owner's manual says this or that. But you know that. But the, the thing that's not talked about a lot is how often should I change coolant in the engine antifreeze? How how often should I tra change transmission fluid and all these different fluids? There's companies or, or manufacturers, remember Tony, that say fluid is, uh, uh, it's lube for life or it's lifetime fluid. Well, if you read deeper into some of those, it's really the lifetime of the warranty, not the lifetime of the automobile. Um, Which is the largest misconception that people don't understand when they buy a car they they think that everything in the owner's manual is exactly how you should service the vehicle and a lot of times that is true but there is times where that is not true and in the biggest the biggest one that comes to mind recently is in 2006 all bmw transmissions were lifetime filled transmissions well the fluid that they used in that transmission now is used in every single General Motors car that there is out there. It's called Dex 6. And, and that fluid is not a lifetime fluid. So to, to be honest with you, it, it, in that example with BMW, they didn't even show you um, in any type of Mitchell manual or any type of our information aftermarket how many quarts the transmission even held because it was a lifetime fill, top off as required only. And realistically those transmissions are whatever the warranty is so at that point in time if the manufacturer said hey we're going to put a five-year hundred thousand mile powertrain warranty on it that's how long they expected the transmission to last they never told the consumer that and the consumer never realized that and that that led down a path of 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 poor vehicle maintenance and led down a path of people uh almost back in, when you started driving in in stuff when you had to rebuild an engine every 15 20 000 miles and you had to do valve it jobs wasn't and, quite that often but you know maybe a hundred thousand yeah eighty thousand but you know tires when you started only lasted ten thousand miles you know there there we've made a lot of huge advancements in stuff the advancements that we've made is you can get three four hundred five hundred thousand miles out of a car nowadays but you can't do it without doing maintenance and fluids is the lifeline of the maintenance of all the components that are in your vehicle like you said at the beginning fluids are a heck of a lot cheaper than hard parts are i would rather flush a transmission 15 times it, over the course of 300,000 miles, $200 a, a transmission flush, then have to put a $5,000 transmission in a vehicle. Yeah, those are good points. And you you did notice where 
Tony, when you start listening to our segments more, always wants to kind of get the dig in that I'm an old dude. So, you know, you got about four or five of those in there, I think. I got a little piece of paper here. I'm those That's things that you write down on. I'm keeping track of those. But uh, uh, but Tony's right. The fluids are, are important. Here's the basic thing about fluids and like a transmission fluid. It's meant to um, uh, keep medical medical metal particles uh floating out there and and uh and keep them from causing damage and it's also d- uh, made to keep heat down so the the number one abuser of transmissions and even brakes is heat um so changing the fluid periodically takes the heat out so if you go to your local service center and it's 200 250 300 for a transmission fluid flush it isn't for you're not buying a transmission fluid flush you're buying a transmission that doesn't fail prematurely. Um, we used to change antifreeze or coolant because it would, uh, in the north, uh, it would get it would freeze. Well, that's really not the case anymore with modern engines and and uh, aluminum and all the different things we have. Plastic pieces corrosion is the biggest uh, problem. So if well, you ever, and most people don't realize impellers on water pumps now, uh, tanks on the side of radiators are all plastic. All that stuff used to be metal in in plastic and antifreeze. They don't mix over the course of time very well. So by but that corrosion will build up. And you you used to have a saying that you taught us uh, uh, that it was almost like barnacles on the bottom of a boat. If we took the side tank of a radiator and cut it in half and looked at how that corrosion looks on the inside, it's going to be green and crusty and nasty and and almost like the bottom of a boat that's not been cleaned for a long time. Well, all that stuff's going to float around if you don't clean that out and flush the cooling system um, very often. The other thing that I see happen often is water pump failures. The impeller goes bad on the backside of the water pump because the impeller literally falls off because the plastic falls apart. So if that happens, think of your water pump like your heart. Your water pump pumps all the coolant through the entire engine, through your heater system, through your radiator, through everything that way. If your heart fails, just like your water pump, you're going to have a heart attack. No blood's going to flow. Nothing's going to happen that way. And that plastic impeller coming apart causes bigger issues. Yeah, that's very true. And Tony's analogy of the boat, we used to keep a boat at a local lake. And when you got it out every fall, you cleaned all the crap off the bottom of the boat that's set in the water. That's what your cooling system looks like inside if you don't clean it. It causes gaskets to go out quicker, um, uh, leaks to start, and all sorts of negative damage. And it causes them to be clogged up. The last real quick piece I would say is the brake fluid flush. Every car, every system on your car that has fluid goes in a full circle except for one. And brakes. It's, it's brakes. So it goes to your left rear wheel and your right rear wheel and it stops. It does not cross over in most cars. So it's important because all the gunk gets built up in the back. So it's good to flush that out periodically. So when you let your foot off the brake, that the brakes release right away also. Also so, keep this in mind with brake fluid is on a a lot of all-wheel drive vehicles to keep you ever take a four-wheel drive vehicle and you turn real tight in a parking lot when there's no ice and it jumps and hops and skips and does all that crazy stuff in an all-wheel drive vehicle most cars now through the abs system actually pulse your back brake calipers so those brakes are actually operating in the rear 
because the brake fluid's being pushed back there to keep the car from jumping and hopping and doing everything crazy that way, which actually burns through brake fluid faster, is also why a lot a lot of times on a brand new vehicle, when you get your first brake job done, you're replacing rear brakes before you're replacing front brakes. A lot of people ask that question when they come in, why, why are we replacing the rears instead of the fronts first? That's part of the reason why in a lot of modern vehicles. Good, good points there. So get with your local service center. Make sure that they uh, give you proper um, instructions on how to change these fluids on a regular basis. They don't need done near as often as oil, but they do need done every few years. Um, and service centers, good quality service centers can help you out with that. Hey, this is uh, father and son team, Mike and Tony Tadich. Uh, just want to thank you for hanging out with us again today. So you got anything to wrap up, Tony? It's uh, uh, shutting the glove box time. So we'll see you next time on the next episode. Take care, everybody. Make sure you're here for our next one. What do I need to fix if my check engine light is on? Have a question for Mike and Tony? Call it in at 888-201-0858. This podcast is brought to you by TMT Automotive and Momentum Drives Marketing.